I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day, it's Mark Boris here. And thank you to all our listeners for a great year of Straight Talk. The show's never been bigger, and I can't wait for you to hear what we have coming up for 2024. I want to take a moment to highlight my top five favorite episodes for 2023. Well, that was a close call. The guests you're about to hear of are people who've inspired me and changed the way I approach my work life, my personal life, and even my relationship with myself. You're going to be hearing from people like Maddie Johns, Ed Cavalier, Charlie Teo, Ben Crow, and Kayla Ritzners. Let me know what you think of these episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast by clicking the follow button on this pod player. Now, let's get into it. These are my top episodes for 2023. The expectations of football teams today have changed so much from back then. I mean, even just the bonding, the, the bonding environments back in 98. And, you know, that's, I, I get it, it's a long time ago, but yep. the, the, the way players are themselves, like as individuals for a start, they're mm. much more professional. Yep. Coaches are much more professional. Um, it, you know, and Freddie was, you know, it's like he didn't have a older boy career. Um, he was great mm. football, but he's, he did a, you know, had messed up a few times. I, re- I remember like I remember one time there uh, he was, I was a sponsor of the Australian side and uh, was it, and I remember he was supposed to turn up to a memorial, uh, 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 like an Australian memorial, like, you know, for soldiers or something and, and the New Zealand team were there and Freddie didn't make it and uh, he'd been out in the drink the night before and uh, and it was he got sacked as the Australian coach. But he now today yeah. is, like, he's a an, a beacon of respectability. Yep. Freddie doesn't even drink. Yep. He, he very rarely has a drink now. Yep. And... Uh, and you know he's got two great kids, and uh, he's got his wonderful wife. And he, like, is it just a matter of growing up, or for, mm. you, for you guys as rugby league players, or, or is it something more than that? Is it have you evolved as individuals around the game as well as the game has evolved? Yeah, I think yeah, I think as the game it naturally as you get older, you know, it um, you sort of get there, and uh, like I watch a movie, and you know. I'm, most of the time when I was with Trish, she goes, I've never seen you cry. And now every time we put a movie on, particularly if something happens with the dog in the movie, I'm crying. She goes, oh, mate, she goes, you just got too much estrogen in your body these days. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And you, um, But, yeah, I think it's just naturally aged, but, yeah, the game's evolved, Mark. We're talking about, you know, when you talk about 95, 96, even up to 98, the game has just gone fully professional. It's still coming out of the days. Where you got the bloke who's working like a mate of mine, Steve Crow, right? Who played quite a bit of first grade, was part of the '97 Grand Final. Mark, he he de- debuted in '91, and it wasn't until I would say '97, no, '98, even when he won the Grand Final, mate, he was still working dog watch in the coal mines. Wow! So he would play a game, mate. He play a game on a Sunday. We'd go to the pub, he'd have a few beers and then one of the boys would uh, drive him to the mine and he'd do the uh, he'd do his shift down the coal mine, you know, and then, you know, come out and, you know, work till 8 o'clock in the morning and then go and do the rehab session, go home and sleep and then just repeat it all week, you know, training uh, back in the coal mine. And so th- those days of blokes being labourers and stuff like that, then you could go and play the game. It was... It was really semi-professional. And, you know, in our generation that played, there was still the hangover from that where these days, like I remember hearing once about the NFL, they said the demise of the American track and field team, the male uh, track and field team, 
the reason America wasn't winning gold medals in the 200 and the 400 was because of NFL. Is that if you could run that quick and you're a good athlete in college, why would you go into the Olympics when you can earn a $20 million a year playing NFL? Well, I actually start to think, I'm, I'm seeing that now with the NRL. Like these blokes are Olympic athletes. They're that good. Some are better than Olympic athletes. They're, incre- they're incredible athletes. And so, you know, you, to be that and to compete against that, you just can't be burning the candle at both ends like we did. So, but does that mean someone like you, who's a commentator and an analyst when it comes to the game, you have to evolve to? I mean, like Cooper Cronk, he's a fully Australian 180. Like, yep. He's the straightest bloke. Yeah. No, I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, he no, is. No, no, no. He's very disciplined. Very. T- in everything he does. Yep. In everything he does. And, uh, He's a he's a product of the modern game, and uh, then see someone some like the Johns Brothers. Mm. You know, you guys were larrikins, um, but you're still there. And Andrew is too, but you're still there. You're doing all sorts of shows. Yeah. Has your has you made a conscious um, change to your lifestyle and the conscious change to the what you do in order to keep up with the way the game's evolved? Mm. Uh, for me, it takes a lot of discipline to be disciplined. <laughs> Yeah. Makes it yeah. so. So it's conscious. Yeah. So I have like I, I for what I do now is probably no different to when I was playing to a certain extent. Is that I, I there's parts of me that won't change, and I don't want to change. I still love going out. Like I still love having a good time. Like you know, Saturday, I, I said to uh, I was talking on the family podcast on on yesterday, and I said, you know, I said last Saturday was one of the best days I've had in the last decade. So I jump on a bus, go up to Neutral Bay, go to the Oaks, I catch up with Mark Fantasy and Andrew Webster, the journal. So we get up there about 12.30 and we're having a beer. Three o'clock, I get, you know, boys, I'm going to head back into Manly and I'm going to watch the Warriors game there. Okay. I get back on the bus, go to Manly, put the earbuds in, right, listen to music I like and I'm just bar hopping. I'm going from pub to pub, place to place and I'm sitting, you know, and watching the football and meeting nice people, having a ball of a time. You know, then I get a call and they said, you know, a young bloke I used to coach, he said, I'll oh, make the, co- uh, the the side I'm coaching. You've got their presentation I'd come over. So when I was, there was all the young, young blokes there having a beer and having a good time. They go pretty hard, those young local footballers. Uh, but, you know, 11.30, 12 o'clock, I'm out and going to bed. That's a pretty good session, but I've had just a great time. And I don't want to forgo that, but there's a balance, you know, and I've got to be, you know, on top of that, I want to be training these days, I want to be eating the right things, I want to be able to bounce back. But more importantly for me is not foregoing work ethic, that the work side of things and my responsibilities suffer because of it. Yeah, I mean, every, I mean, I, people say to me, Mandy Johns must be earning so much money. He's on. He's on. He's doing so many broadcasting things. I mean, you're on SEN. You're on Fox. Yeah. I mean, you got your all your podcasts. You, yeah. By the way, your family podcast is unreal. I mean, yeah. I, I love it. I mean, I, it is a bit of a, a version of uh, Sylvania <laughs> Waters of uh, 25 years. That's ago. very kind. It's more like the Osbournes. Yeah, the Osbournes. <laughs> that that's scary. That is scary. <clears throat> I remember that uh, show first came to air. The, the Sylvania Waters. It was the first reality show in Australia. But it's like looking inside your family. Yeah, and uh, it's pretty cool. Like it, you're. How does that work? Like who came up with the idea? Was it Trish or your boys or did you come up with the idea? I'll tell you what happened was that when COVID hit, like we all made adjustments during COVID and we come out of it and you, there's certain things that just changed about our lives and how we thought and did things. And one of which was there was a period there that I was contracted to Fox, uh, Fox Sports to do one podcast a week. The problem was for a while there we weren't allowed in the building. So like, well, what are we going to do? And I said, I'll tell you what, Bring all the podcast equipment to me, and I'll do it with the family. That'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll fulfil my obligations, my contractual obligations there. And they're like, mm, you know, will it work? And I said, oh, it'll work. Don't worry. And that's where it started. Because they were they would have been at home as well. Yeah, they were all that we're all at home together. So like, so just in terms of the family podcast, it was obviously Trish, and then you see Cooper a lot. Yeah, um, Jack, you don't see as much. Yep. So just tell me the dynamic. How's it working? Do, do, okay, so who's doing what? Who's so, in charge of what? Uh, let's say, for instance, my I'm, I'm the Irish side of the family, yep. the Irish well side. So I like a good time, a little loose. I like telling stories. I'm a showman. I'm an attention seeker. I'm like a moth. Turn on the spotlight. And you're there. Uh, Cooper's like that. He's more like me. 
Trish is the Italian side of the family, sort of reserved, very strong on her views, um, doesn't like to take the piss too much, you know, likes, you know, very thoughtful. That's Jack. Yeah. So he's 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 got the Italian genes and Cooper's got the Irish genes. Good luck, Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good luck. But, but the show works, so the dynamic works, and the dynamic works obviously the Italian genes and the, the Irish Welsh genes that you have mm. work with you and Trish. Like you guys have been together for a long time. Yep. And I often hear you talk about Trish. Like, And, and sometimes you sort of semi-take the piss about yeah. something more about what you've done. Yep. Um, but you don't mind telling a story around it. Where's that? Is that? I mean, is that an endemic thing in you? Like, did your father was he a storyteller? Was your mother a storyteller, or your grandparents? Because that that's a pretty big skill, and it's a natural skill. Yeah, you dad, love dad, telling stories. Dad, I never looked at my dad till uh, as a storyteller until now. I'll get there, and someone will. That will you know, someone will ask you to go on the radio show, like when Cooper does stuff with Colin Jackie O. They got the old man on one day, and I thought, "How's he going to how's he gonna handle this?" This, you know, fine. But they told a couple of stories, and it was brilliant. It was very, very funny. So yeah, it's and a lot of times it's for me collating stories. Yeah, you know, not forgetting things that have happened in my career and my life and things like that. And it's like anything, Mark. You know, it's like the computer. Someone will say something, and it'll spark. You know, spark something, and you go, oh, "I remember now." You know, for me, but I've got to write everything. Like if I remember a story I'll quickly, I'll jot it down so it stays in my brain. Because that's the other thing about me. Everything is longhand. You should see like my desk at home. Um, it's an absolute, it's a dog's breakfast. You know where everything system. is. Hey? You know where everything is. Yeah, I know where everything is. It's all paper and pen. Like I've never owned a computer in my life. Oh, serious? Uh, I've never sent an email in my life. No. I've never been on uh, – Trish does my social, uh, does my Instagram. Yep. I've never been – had a presence on social media, Twitter, any of those things. I, I just – I like to keep my life really simple. And you know, I say to people, I say to work, if you want to get in touch with me, send me a text, call me or send an email to Trish. Have you any idea of how how deep your memory is? I mean because I, I, I've actually stood there in various, various times and I thought to myself, how's this guy remember um, this group, this singer – uh, back in what year? Uh, yeah. What the words? What the name of the song was? You are you're aware of that, aren't you? Uh, yes, and other I th- people say it. And I think that's part when I yeah connect things together. When I say okay, I get the rundown. Okay, I got the rundown off the producer, but then I write it out myself. Once I write something down, once I care about something, Mark, or something interests me, I very very rarely forget it. So if someone says something about a, a band or a country or a moment in history. If I've read it and it's, you know, it's, it's a piece of interest to me, then I remember it. Are It'll stay there forever. Are you a reader? Yes, yes. So let's, let's talk about that. So what does that mean? Like would you read every day? Uh, to, to varying degrees. Sometimes, you know, I'll churn through a book. Other times it takes a little bit longer. When you say a book, you mean a fictional book or you're talking about a book about no, something? I've never uh, – the only – I'm trying to think – I read a fictional book couple of years ago it must have must not have piqued my interest because i can't remember which one it was but it's always uh, uh biographies or history so yeah that's so that's, what interests you then what what does what are you interested in? i mean we talk about football what interests matty johns so outside that's, of that that's interesting because uh you say that because you know i've i've got and maybe this has got to do with why i like having a good time so much more is that i don't play golf um you know, I play lawn bowls occasionally. I like that because you walk parallel to the clubhouse rather than walk away from it. But, you know, but I have no great interests. So my interests are relationships with people, have a coffee, enjoy it, travel and reading. Really, that's the extent of it. When you say uh, reading, yeah, um, that, that's, I mean, I'm sort of a little bit similar, but um, I, yeah. in terms of that, because I don't play golf and all that sort of things, but for me, reading is critical reading for me is learning i'm i read to learn uh, about something um i've heard you recite historical events Mm. i've heard you recite stuff about when a a band was here in australia and 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 you'd even know the names of all the individuals you know the songs that they sang i i I heard Mm. you say this on triple m um and i thought to myself this dude must read stuff um that interests him Mm. and then somehow retain it to his memory and you must do it often, you know, to have that sort of level of knowledge about stuff apart from mm. footy. 
um, you must be reading these things purposefully, chasing it. And maybe that's, you know, might be the fact that, you know, I don't own a computer, Mark, and it's become a necessity to have that, you know, to have my all these notes on my desk and everything, but I know exactly where everything is. I know I've, you know, got to be here. And I know that I've got to be here at a certain time and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Do I, you get I, obsessed with it, though, reading it? Uh, not, not obsessed. I get there sometimes. If I've got stuff on, Mark, you know, I've got to get it done. If I've got to plan something, I've got to do it straight away because otherwise it just sits on my shoulder like a weight. So I sort of like to get everything and be organised, get it, get on top of it quick. Um, otherwise, it's a burden. Like I'm think, lately, I've been thinking about some other thing about doing this other podcast, right? And it's just driving me mad to the point that I've got to write a note on my desk. You aren't allowed to think about this podcast until next Monday. Next Monday, really? Yes, to have the discipline to not be thinking about it. So Otherwise, I'm driving in the car, an idea comes, I go, oh, Jesus Christ, here we go. I've got to pull to the side of the road and write down a note or two and and then keep going. You know, you, you're on a 15-minute drive somewhere. It takes an hour and a half to fucking get there. Yeah, totally. So, mm. like, I, I got asked about the elf in the room. Like, I said back family, Andrew, mm. um, mate, what's going on? Well, you know, we, we – we, we, Is it a G up? No, it's not. No, so it's, it's dead set of, of, of two brothers having an argument. Yeah, look, at the moment we're not even in the same library, let alone the same page. So, you know, it's it's a little bit, mate, you know, we, we just we are different people and we we clash some way, shape or form biannually. Twice a year. Yeah, twice a year. Yeah. Some next day, doesn't matter. Other times it prolongs a little bit. It goes a little bit longer. Is this the longest time you haven't? Oh, no, no. We've gone years. Oh, no bullshit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've gone for years, not talking to your brother. Yeah, we've gone for years. How do you avoid him? Like, I mean, I mean, I say, no, we'll like Christmas time, what happens? Um, you say, g'day, how you going? Yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be, uh, just trying to remember. I remember seeing him once. He's funny. He'll get there. Like we, we're, it's sort of part of our playing our, our, our roles and who we are. And I'll go, oh, here he is. I'll go, Joey, how are you, mate? And he'll go, yeah, mate. He does it. Actually, that <laughs> is his does. facial expression. That is his facial expression. Yeah, yeah mate, not bad. Yeah, go, okay. But is it a, you're the older brother. I mean, is it yeah. a matter of the older brother breaking the ice every time? <sighs> Has yeah. that? A, but it has, this is the thing has gone on, I guess, over the yeah. years. You know, right? There's here's here's a bit of a story. I, I reckon, I reckon, you know, because uh, through through this blue, uh, the the blue, I've been sort of taking the piss a little bit, you know, like an older brother just sort of poking him a little bit, and um, he tumbles. Yeah, you know, he gets the shits. He does, and uh, he sort of takes a lot more serious than I do. I hear through my mates, mate, he's not happy. I say, you know. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. No worries. Oh, wait. You know, he reckons he's going to get a job here next time. I see. Oh, really? <laughs> he must have taken boxing lessons since the last time he had a sting. And um, and he, he rung me. I was on the Gold Coast, right? I, I, I take full responsibility for this. Right? I deserve a kick up the ass. And what had happened? I thought, right? Oh, wouldn't it be funny if this Sunday and I coming up on the show? I booked Jamie Goddard to come on. Of course, famously, Jamie Goddard was a bloke that Joey yep. with a big right hand, put about 60 stitches in his mouth or something. It'd be funny. So I rang Jamie Goddard. I said, yeah, I'll come on the show. So um, this is a Sunday night show? Or this a is Sunday night yep, show. Right. Joey rang me after he accepted. Joey rang me about an hour later. G'day, mate. How you going? Oh, mate. How you going, little brother? Yeah, good. Do you, want to, uh, do you want to catch up? I said, no, I don't. He said, why is that? I said, I'm on the Gold Coast. But when we get back to Sydney, we'll um, we'll catch up. Sweet. So Joey's reached out. Unfortunately, when he watched the Sunday night show. <laughs> Filthy. <laughs> he knew you were just screwing with him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, because through the show, I thought it was pretty funny. Through the show, we said to Jamie Goddard, listen, the elephant in the room is going to be the Joey thing. And the fact that me and Joey are blue and people are going, oh, here we go. But I said, let's not mention it until the last frame in the show. 
So all the way through, we're asking the questions like, do you any boxing when you since you were a kid, when you were a young bloke? And he'd play along, oh, a little bit, but do you, do you, do you, have, you have many blues in your rugby league career? Oh. Oh. None that really come to mind. Oh, yeah. Then we did a, we did a break, a little uh, uh, rewind, retro rewind. Let's go and have a look at some of the greatest fights in origin history. And, of course, it was the only one we didn't put in. Then it was like, right, up, it's time. Let's address the elephant in the room. Why did you leave the Gold Coast you know, at that time? So everyone – anyway, as the show, well, that's all we've got time for. And Fletcher goes, hang on a second, and we showed it. And I think Joey thought, cheeky bastard. So – Did you get a text? I got a text. Was he filthy? <laughs> he wasn't. <laughs> so would it be fair to say, though, I mean, because you don't have to like your brother all the time. Yeah. You don't have to like anyone in your family all the time. No. You love them. Yeah. And if something goes wrong, you're the first person there. But yeah. you don't have to like them. There's no there's no. no rule book that says that's the way it is. Yeah. And everybody would be, oh, they're brothers. But shit, oh, that happens all the time. It happens all the time. Uh, but yeah. I know so many people. Like, no. you know, even in my own family, two of my sons, they don't necessarily like each other that much. But... I know, you know, they love each other. They, yeah. And at the end of the day, if they don't, they're going to get a clip from me anyway. I don't give a fuck how old they are. Yep. They will definitely get a clip from their father. Yep. But, like, at the end of the day, they, they, they're they different personalities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different. And you and Joey are different. And we have, like, Mark, like we, we growing up, you know, we slept in the same room, you know. Uh, Joey was on the bottom bunk. I was on the top bunk. Yeah. Then we, yeah, we go, we went to the same school, of course, uh, and then... We have the same profession, this high-profile profession. We're playing, you know, first-grade NRL. Then, you know, in a town like Newcastle, which is rugby-league crazy, and then we win this amazing competition. You know, we play for New South Wales together, for Australia together. Like, I think we're just fucking sick of each other. <laughs> <laughs> You were you were the Mark Burris I was exactly hoping for when I got here today, which was slightly guarded, mildly gruff, interested but only to a point. That is exactly the Mark Burris that I want and it is good fun and I'm enjoying it. But at the same time, your curiosity has to be earned and that is good fun. But that's what I'm saying. I'm responding to that intellectually, but that means I like you. That's making me like you, right? I, I feel better. <laughs> yeah, but thank you. But, I mean, but can we go, can we go, can we go let's go back to you, Mrs. Like, because yeah. so you you liked her resilience, physical and mental. Yeah. You liked the, her, uh, I guess, generosity of spirit, her honesty yeah. in relation to her yeah. business in particular. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you liked her commitment too, I think. You yeah, 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 yeah. Especially to physical health. No, more, and more so just that she is a... Um, uh, sort of, it's it's so cliche to say my wife's a very loving person, but maybe it's a cliche for a reason, do you know? And that's a that's a good thing. Whereas I'm not, Mark, I'm not the type of person that's going to wallow in things, if you know what I mean. And she isn't either. But she's she's good at kind of at, at, for anyone. She has this funny thing, Mark, where I can start talking to someone, and I will very quickly think about. They'll say something, and I'll think I can tell that means something to them. I can just tell, as you can. And I go, great, that's what we're going to talk about. I'm good because I'll learn something from them. This will be great. Whereas my wife, we'll go out to the shops. I'll turn around as a woman crying, holding her hands. I go, what was that about? She goes, I don't know. I just went up to her and we were talking about the shopping. And before I know it, she's telling me her life story. That's my wife. She screams empathy from a distance. And her mother has a similar sort of effect on people. Whereas they just everywhere they go, people are just telling them their life story like they've known them a thousand years it's incredible so so what do you borrow from that nothing that personality nothing do you borrow it's just something you like to have around yeah so to speak yeah Doesn't, yeah yeah I know you mean. no i don't yeah. I, I still do you still, borrow anything and borrow any of those traits no i still like to live yourself live yourself. myself and yeah. do and find people find their likes find the intellectually find that thing and get into what's making them tick and what they like I've got this great way of getting ready to know people. This is gold. So, Mark Boris, what were your last three YouTube searches? I'd have to go back and check. I don't know. She's on, I, is, I it don't on, know. is it on that iPad? No, no, it's not on this iPad, unfortunately. Um, it, it, it could be probably the last three YouTubes uh, something about um, uh, BJJ, uh, 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 wrestling. Are yeah. you doing BJJ? Yeah, I've been doing it for years, yeah. Aha. 
you'd like my friend Barack, the Australian champion. So, all right, we can get in touch. So, Mark, you and Mark Zuckerberg could have a bout. That'd be good fun. That's good content. That would be fun. I'd like to uh, wrestle him. That'd be good. Okay, so with that BJJ, yep. Yeah, but probably my last three would have been on BJJ. All about the same? Yeah, well, I'll probably... Technique, uh, highlights, and... No, no, but specifics. No, specifics. I'd be asking things like, um, you know, how to... Uh, Get out of a, a particular position, like so. Yeah, right. It would have been something like you know, just like going back to basics: how to get out of mount. Great. And, yep, and easy. What are the three ways to get out of mount position? Awesome. Yep. See, everything I need to know is in that. Well, but probably also though, uh, I do remember now. You asked me because it's a, uh, I had to get the uh, back of my head working, <laughs> um, and uh, and had to look backwards. And uh, the probably the thing I probably checked it on YouTube most recently was uh, something on um, um, deep learning models and how deep learning models yes. are, are best calculated. Fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, and I did. I looked it up, and I looked up in. I looked it up in in particular. I looked at how to uh, build a deep learning model uh, for a broad database on physical um, uh, physical markers, biomarkers, physical biomarkers. Aha. Uh-huh. And. And I was just trying to work out how I can make money out of it. <laughs> See, we got there. We're home. We've only done two. Mm. We've only done two, and we are home. We but could talk to the end. We can now. You and I could now talk till the end of time. Can I ask you a question then? Of course, Ken. So it's your show. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> let me ask you a question. If you had to describe in order yeah. of preference, three your three favorite animals. Oh, so three, two, one, or one, two, three. Uh, one, two, three. Favorite one first. No, no, three, two, one. The, you, in radio, you do three, two, one because you want the la- you want the listeners sticking okay, around to you, one. Yeah. You can do the last yeah, one. Yeah, three, two, one. You can do it in your own order. Top of my head, three, blue whale. Uh, it just anything that moves at that distance and pace, but also with a slowness, I just I find fascinating. It's hard and they're hard to draw. Uh, and two, I like the cheetah because when I found out that all four paws went off the ground as they ran, it turned it into a sort of a jump. And I thought that's fascinating because it's, you know, and the way they turn with the back of their hips. So mechanically, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, and number one is the bald eagle because the bald eagle was the symbol of Rome, SPQR, you know, and and then it was been, it, and now the Amer- America's adopted it. And it just has, it's got the best look, you know, when it sits up and looks to the side. So aesthetically, it's the best looking eagle. The others are a bit, bit a bit murky, um, and I like the I like its precision, just loitering around in the air, and then boom! I'll take that rabbit. Thanks. Yeah. So, do you think of it in any of those? Let's. Just, so, I'll take them <laughs> reverse order, my order. So, what are uh, yours? So, so the the bald eagle, like in terms of the the, the characteristics you described. Do you think there's any um, relationship between those characteristics and a little bit how you present yourself, not in a physical way, but how you present yourself? In what way? Well, you just said he's a looks great, a good observer, the way he moves his head. Or oh, okay, so what you're saying. Um, honestly, I've never thought about it, but maybe yeah, maybe obviously I'm drawn to it for, probably for that reason. Yeah, that yeah, makes ha- sense. How you would like to present yourself? I don't know if I, I don't know if I ever present myself exactly the way I'd like to. I think that more that I just get into get in situations that I'm enjoying. And then don't worry about it as much. But just so I'll t- listen back to this and be like, "God, you're annoying. Shut the fuck up." But me? No, no, me. No, you're great. Oh, but I'll, 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 but I'll think. Oh, so you should have asked Mark more questions. That's what I'll say to myself when I listen back. And and the, uh, the what was the second? Uh, what was number two? Did you cheetah. Pick? Cheetah. Um, and is do you think a, a cheetah would be something that the characteristics of which which you described to me at least um, its ability to do something quite fantastic. No, the quickness and, of it, the agility yeah, of it. It gives a speed. Yeah, the in agility. A mechanical, by mechanical sense, it gives a great deal of speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that's something that you would like to be? Uh, no, I'd like to be, I like to be mentally dexterous. I like no, but it can be in a mental sense. Oh, yeah. That, that, it doesn't yes. have to be in a physical way. No, no 100%. But- yeah, mental dexterity is something that I prize. I, I absolutely – I and when I hear – you know, sometimes, Mark, I'll be listening to an audio book and someone will have a phrase, like Chuck Klosterman's book about the 90s, um, he's a culture writer. Sometimes I'll hear a phrase that he's got or a joke. Sometimes I'll hear a joke that someone's come up with and I'll just stop. I'll, honestly, I'll physically just stop and just be like, that's the stuff. 
you know, and get a bolt of energy from it, a bolt of lightning of energy from it. And that's the kind of when you stop. So my mental dexterity, and then something will just stop you in your tracks. And it happened on my show, I've been paying attention. Sometimes we just thrilled by it. That's yes. what I love. So you can apply, you know, that, that cheetah's tremendous um, biomechanical ability to to how a person how a person would like to be able to think themselves. You'd know, like to be able to cover more distance mentally than yeah, anybody exactly else. Right. And do you think well and what did you say about the blue whale again? What was it's just so it's so massive. So the idea that it actually moves is quite incredible. But the sort of slowness of it I find incredible. And the idea that it has to find what is it, so many tons of plankton a day. Like imagine the pressure when you want to would you put that down? Is it, would you call that efficiency or would you call no, that no, no, uh, resourceful? Yeah, I so I, I would call that uh, work rate. I would call that a dedication to like a Sisyphus. You know, every every time the blue whale is conscious, it goes, oh, I need three tons of plankton today. And it just methodically goes through and will not be deterred. Do you think that's who you are? What do you mean? Maybe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. God, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can, no worries. I can gut it out. No dramas. So if I do it all in reverse, so um, you're methodical, work hard, know, you, know your job. Mm. And have no problem with it. I mean, mm. you might take a breath or you think, I've got to keep feeding, so mm. I work hard. Um, I, I'd love to be uh, um, more mentally dexterous mm. and, uh, and have more mental dexterity, which is why I live my life this way and why I intellectually engage this way and mm. um, I'm always trying to work my way around things to learn more stuff and mm. to see how people sweet spots. And finally, but I present myself in a different way. I present myself, I'm the eagle. Maybe. Yeah, that's, that's, that does make sense. Did you, is that is that a is that a model of some sort? Or it's well known. That? It's well known. Oh, uh, is it? psychological model? Yeah. Whose is I, it? Uh, it doesn't matter, but it's in reverse. How is it, it yours? It's, it's, well, it's one that I've studied for a long time. Yeah, and but I have but I have borrowed it. I have borrowed most of the notions from other it. people. Yeah, because I like I used to read a lot of psychology books. Lots. Why did you many. stop? Oh, I just got bored. I mean, I read enough. I now read uh, more chemistry books and physics books, but I'm more interested in that. But these days, but. Then those days, this is 25 years ago, but I remembered that model and I thought to myself, uh, I just wonder where it works with someone like you because you're a little um, you're a little dangerous because uh, <laughs> you, you move around a bit faster and uh, you're also suspicious of the reason for the questions. Um, so you, you danced it a bit, but I got you. So, But no, no, I got to you. I didn't mean it in a bad way. I, I know exactly I, I got what to you find meant. out what I wanted to find out. I know out. exactly what but, you uh, meant. But, uh, and it's funny how it usually works for most people. But, That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, but you do it in order of the. usually the first one is how they present themselves, the first animal they pick. Ah. Second animal they pick. You've got, you got to get into the characteristics. You've got to find out what the characteristics are. Second animal is the gotcha. one they want to be. Gotcha. And the third animal is who they are. Oh, that's interesting. And because we, we tend to promote in our own mind Gotcha. How we present ourselves, how we would really right, present ourselves, right, right, like, yeah, right. where we would like to be. Gotcha. And we know where we are. We that's, know where we are. That's interesting. Yeah, and that's uh, really good. yeah, it's it's quite it's quite a good um, uh, it's quite a good party trip. Have yours changed? Uh, not really. Uh, no, I'm, I'm probably still the same. Child's um, nervous system. Just an old version, leading yeah. uh, journal. Uh, so it's out there, and you have to do that. Uh, now, a lot of my colleagues have criticised me for not publishing, but they just haven't even looked them up. I mean, they're just shooting from the hip and saying that I've done something terrible and I haven't published, but it's published. It's out there in the literature. So when you publish something like that, Charlie, and you get a significant outcome or a significant result, 20 out of 43, 28 out of 43, does that build Charlie Teo's reputation and therefore create some, let's call it, peer jealousy or collegiate jealousy from the other side or from others? Do you think that does? Do you feel it? No, that in itself probably doesn't. I mean, when I published some of those papers saying I had these fantastic results, I would, I would, uh, in America, they believed me. And uh, it's a real meritocracy. You know what America is like. So I had neurosurgeons from all around the world coming to watch me operate and learning the techniques. When I came back to Australia and gave the same presentation, I said to one of my colleagues in Melbourne, I said, you know, uh, it's there, public. I published it, it's, it's real. And and she goes, Charlie, no one believes that. <laughs> is that an Australian thing? It is. It's, a you know, knock, knocking the... Uh, yeah, you can't get too high up. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and uh, I guess, you know, you can't blame... I don't... I think it's good to have a healthy degree of scepticism. Maybe that's a little bit unhealthy when it's that degree, but uh, you know, I like the way Australians don't believe people who are sort of 
big noting themselves all the time and stuff. So, you know, the fact that they were knocking me down, they would think that I, they, they thought that I was publishing those results falsely and that I was just trying to make myself look like a good neurosurgeon. But they're based on data. Well, yeah, but scientists can lie about their data. You know, they can. Uh, I guess make, so. they can make it up and uh, and stuff. But it has now, to be peer reviewed, though. I mean, it, it has to be peer reviewed, and there's often multiple authors, so yeah. it's very hard to do it. But some people do do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure that does happen, and we do know Australians who have been through that process. And yeah. if I remember the th- the thalamino thing, cases, yeah. yeah, I mean that yeah. one goes back a bit, but for pregnant women who are suffering from um, yeah. morning sickness or whatever the, uh, during early parts of their pregnancy, yeah. and we know what happened to him, but. See, what Americans do is that when you publish a paper like that, they go, oh, my God, that's fantastic. I have to learn that. So they come and watch you and their immediate response is, you know, I'm going to better myself. I'm going to try and get those good results. The immediate response in Australia is, it's bullshit. You know, yeah, uh, prove it. Yeah, yeah, prove it. Prove it. Yeah, yeah. like uh, but that's sort of the doubting Thomas. Let me see where the wounds are, yeah. and yeah. let me put my hand on your side and see where you actually exactly. got the spear in here. Yeah, exactly. When when you see that, or when you hear that, or feel it. Does that what does that build up to you in you? Does that build up a resistance towards it, or does it make you want to push harder? How did Charlie Tia no, feel when he gets that? No, it, it didn't really. I mean, look, I, I, I've managed to survive the system for you know my entire career. Forty years. For forty years, I've had people wanting to pull me down, and I've survived. How have I survived? Because. I made I made a pledge to myself right from the get-go that I would treat my patients like they were a member of my own family. And I think that protects you because what it does is it takes away all those extraneous other influences. So you're never going to be influenced by money. You're never going to be influenced by power games and ego. You're not going to be influenced by, you know, the dinner party you have to attend that night and you better hurry. Uh, because when you picture that patient on the table as your own child or your wife or your loved one, you're going to do the right thing by them. And so I make a conscious effort every time I see a patient, I'm going to treat you, I'm going to make a decision about surgical indications or applications or whatever based on the fact that you are my child, I love you, and you're part of my family. And that is what has protected me uh, for all this time. So how do you... I mean, there has been some allegations that you do it for all these large amounts of money. Mm. For me, quite frankly, they're not that large amounts of money right. relative to your skill and what you, what you, the outcome you're trying to achieve. Yeah. How do you work out how much you charge? I mean, like, how does it work out? You know, I mean, I read somewhere in some of the research, like, somebody where, where one of the operations did go, well, it was 100 grand for the operation. It was allegedly inoperable prior to you getting on board. How do you work that out? I mean, just what's, what's your position on that? Uh, I was once told by a mentor that you should charge what you think you deserve. Yep. Uh, and then people will either take it or leave it. I mean, you know, you're not going to force someone to come and see you. And what is the argument then? Why is the argument against you? What is that argument then? Where are they coming from? Charlie, charge me grand. The thing didn't go right. Are they saying, well, I felt like I had no choice because he presented me an outcome that I, I really wanted right, and I really right. didn't have a choice? Do you think that's the argument? Is that their argument? Look, I'm not quite sure because firstly, I don't charge 100 grand. Uh, they tried to, you know, portray that narrative of me being money hungry. Uh, but I think it's the fact that, uh, look, I don't, I don't know, but I think it's the fact that everyone else charges so much money. And so they think that I'm charging. So when they hear a story, so it was all a guy called Henry Wu. He's a urologist at uh, RPA. For some reason, he took a disliking to me and he went public on Twitter uh, about how much I was charging. He went to the GoFundMe. He said, I've got all these patients that are trying to raise money for me. And he made all these allegations about me charging $100,000. Well, firstly, it's wrong. The $100,000 that they had to raise is everything, of course, the hospital bill, the assistant, the pathologist, the radiologist. It's not Charlie Tia's No, it's not mine. It's not mine. So he got it wrong. Uh, Secondly, uh, I've never not done an operation if someone hasn't been able to pay. So in other words, of course I want to get paid and uh, we would love to be paid up front, but we don't insist on it. The hospital insists on it. So, you know, hospitals have to run like any private practice, business. So they insist on the money up front before they let the patient in. So that was interpreted as me saying, I'm not going to do your operation unless, you know, you put the money in the bank. 
So that is absolutely not the case. I, you, know, you speak to any patient and they'll tell you that, you know, I always say to them, I don't like talking about the money, talk to my staff about it, but please don't let it influence what I'm recommending. I think you need the surgery and, this, you know, if you, if you want me to do it, there's going to be some way around it. And, you know, I, in my career, again, I haven't really wanted this to be known, but I'll tell you now because it's a straight talk podcast. Uh, more than half my patients I don't charge. Uh, I didn't want to say that publicly. Because everyone's going to say, don't yeah, charge me. Exactly. I didn't want to say that publicly 20 years ago, but I can say it now at the end of my career that, uh, you know, I didn't charge police officers, um, fellow doctors, nurses, uh, friends of friends, pensioners who couldn't afford it. Uh, and, you know, there's all these examples of that, uh, that when you read the social media comments and all that sort of stuff, people who've said, you know, he never charged me. Well, I, d- I didn't. And if they needed more than one operation, of course, we'd reduce the fee. And then if they had needed more than two operations, we wouldn't charge them anything. So, you know, my career has been based on doing the operation if it needs to be done, regardless of whether they can pay or not. Uh, So that's the first thing. I think a lot of people judge you based on their own criteria. And a lot of people just don't do that. A lot of people do charge and money is part of their decision making. Uh, The next thing is that whole concept of trying to demonize Charlie Teo. So there was a paper called the Saturday paper and there was an article in it that tried to destroy me. And the journalist spoke to a whole lot of neurosurgeons and these neurosurgeons were saying terrible things about me. So the journalist says to them, well, why don't you take him out? You know, why don't you make the complaints formal? Uh, And they go, who wants to be seen as the person who kills Bambi? And so uh, at that stage, my reputation was very good, uh, Australia's most trusted person, uh, all these great stories in the media about me saving lives and taking out tumours that were inoperable. And so I was considered uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, a good guy, Bambi, if you will. So in other words, if you want to destroy Charlie Teo, you've got to try and change the image of Charlie Teo from Bambi to a demon. Rapacious, uh, 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 money-hungry. Money-hungry, uh, uh, reckless yeah. surgeon, and that's what they've done. Now, I don't, know how, I don't know who's behind it all, but all the media has basically tried to make me look like I'm some sort of terrible person. Uh, you know, he, uh, he, he insists on money, he charges money, He's, uh, uh, he operates on the wrong side of the brain, uh, he uh, makes uh, uh, terrible uh, uh, politically incorrect jokes, uh, he, he kissed a nurse on the cheek when she didn't want to be kissed on the cheek. So, you know, all, all these terrible things uh, to destroy the image of Bambi. Uh, and uh, so that's one way of destroying Charlie Teo. And, and, it, and it worked. It worked because once they came out with all those headline articles about Charlie Teo, the terrible person, uh, all the colleagues who were sitting back there jealous and fuming and, and, and uh, you know, wanting to destroy me to go, yes, now we can go in for the kill. It was like a, it was like a wolf uh, pack uh, seeing blood. Feeding frenzy. Feeding frenzy. So having... Uh, uh, as soon as those Sydney Morning Herald articles came out in the front on the front page, there were like three complaints from doctors all around Australia saying, "Yeah, you know, he operated on this person; he should never have done it, and you know, he didn't look after this, but he didn't provide post-operative care for this patient." And all these complaints started coming in. So, uh, so suddenly, Bambi was no longer Bambi. Bambi was a demon, and now we can go get him and we can destroy him. Yeah. I never articulated like you've done. How important is it for people to articulate this and actually write it down, those AAA that you just said? Yeah. It's, well, if you want to live an authentic life, right, a life that's true to you and the courage to be yourself without understanding who you are, right, in in that case you tapped into all three of those muscles. You tapped into acceptance that you had a bad flight and not a lot of sleep. You tapped into um, appreciation that someone got to book you right? And you're making conscious choices. You decided to prepare. You decided to go to the gym. You made certain decisions. You kind of knew what you wanted, right? Um, Within the limitations, but it was okay. Correct. Correct. And if we don't do that, if we don't kind of make sense of who we are, the human being that is less, less so the human doing, right? We'll be showing up constantly distracted, constantly frustrated, letting the conditions of our environment determine our mindset, which is effectively saying, if it's rainy, I'll be shitty. And if it's sunny, I'll be happy. 
which is crazy, right? It's abdicating responsibility for living. Once we realize we actually have that power, we have agency over our mind and how we want to show up, what kind of human I want to be, and then tap into like in that case, you tapped into, you said, I think you said yourself, just enjoy yourself, right? So in that moment, you are connecting back with your authenticity. The best version of Mark enjoys himself. Right? So you are connecting to that childlike compete, have fun, play kind of mindset. You weren't focusing on the outcome and whether people enjoyed your speech. You were focusing on, I am going to enjoy myself in this moment. It probably got you more centered and more present. Yeah. So the journey we're all on, in my opinion, is just answer those two questions first. Who am I and what do I want? And you've got to answer them in that order because you can't work out what you want until you work out who you are, right? Fundamentally who you are. And if you don't work out who you are, you're constantly going after what you want as a substitute, which means you might sell yourself short in life or love, you know, imposter syndrome, I'm not worthy of this promotion, I'm not worthy of this role. Or you might be going after what you want and be focused more on extrinsic motivations as a substitute for who you are. And that's the one of my biggest frustrations at the moment is how distracted we are with extrinsic motivations. And what does that mean, extrinsic motivations? External things. The big five is money. Like once I make that money, then I'll be enough. Then I'll be validated, right? And I've got clients who are billionaires who said once they made their third billion, they thought their dad would love them, right? It's so sad. The second one is materialism. Once I get that car, that house, that handbag, then I'll be enough. Then I'll be worthy. The third one is corporate status. Once I get that promotion, right, then then I'll be enough. The fourth one is social status. Once I'm famous, right, then I'll be recognized. Then I'll be validated. And the fifth one that in my opinion is just crippling the world at the moment, in particular teenagers, is this constant craving recognition from others. Affirmation. Obsessing and caring what people think about me and saying about me rather than what I think about myself because now I want you to give me what I'm not prepared to give myself, you know, self-acceptance, self-love, self-worth, you know what I mean, self-compassion. So we're constantly looking externally and I think that's that's the biggest, one of the greatest tragedies of our, of our time. That's crazy um, what you just said, but that's true. I mean, I, I've never really put into those terms. But do you think the whole social media world, which, you know, has its positives as well as its negatives, has actually contributed to that last point that you just made about young, particularly younger people uh, wanting affirmation or or uh, some sort of confirmation from, from external sources about their own self-worth as opposed to learning how to do it for themselves? Yeah, I think it was happening way before social media right. came on board. The three biggest storytellers in the world is the media industry, the social media industry, and the advertising industry. And I think even from the 60s when brand advertising became really powerful, we, we, we thought, okay, great brands don't make you feel good about the brand, they make you feel good about yourself. So we thought our identity was being shaped by what we would buy, right? What kind of perfume, what kind of car, what kind runners. of shoes, what kind of runners, exactly right. And that kind of created this loss of sense of self, right? Then you've got negative news media with this clickbait cocktail of cortisol that's creating this insane level of negativity and, and we're, we're getting sucked into it because it used to be predicated on facts and now it's predicated on opinions, especially fear because it sells so well, right, as you know. And the third one, the social media, yeah, creating, we're getting obsession, obsessed with perfectionism and social comparison because it's so easy to see where, where you've been invited to or what you, what you look like or you don't look like or you haven't been invited to and it's really hard to separate because we were never under, we, we were never taught how to use the utility because if you write a book or do a movie or a documentary, any form of storytelling, you're going to focus, you're going to learn about intention, you're going to learn about objective, and you're going to learn about empathy. But when that utility was thrown out in the universe, you know, 15 years ago, we were never taught what to say, but it created, you know, 4 billion social journalists. So we started focusing on ourself, self, self, self. We became self-absorbed, self-obsessed. We created this thing called a selfie, right? And we started focusing on ourselves more than others and caring what people thought about me. So you're right in terms of exacerbating this craving of recognition and identity, which is hurting us in so many ways. So uh, it, it, I, I presume your app is designed to try and help help this um, this problem. Yeah, totally. So yeah. Talk, talk about the app. Just tell me about the app. What, what motivated you to do the app in the first place? Oh, well, I was just, you know, I mean, especially during COVID, I went from doing one talk a week to four talks a day. Wow. All over the world, you know, like 1,500 requests that came, came through once the, yeah, these principles are being socialised. I already knew that the year before COVID when I took that gap year and travelled the world. 
and suddenly realized, wow, the world is really struggling here on, on, on so many levels. And so I just thought I'd put the principles down and then put them back out in the world and kind of scale it way, way beyond me. I had no idea it was going to take off. But how did you put the principles back out of the world? Sorry. I, so the work, the work that I do is predicated on, on, I guess, three answering three questions. The first one is who am I? Right? And this is often where we'll find self-confidence, but we can accept our imperfections and believe we're worthy. Just effectively self-acceptance and self-belief that creates self-confidence. So that, you ask that question of the... It's a whole lot of, of, of a person or a group of people. Correct. It's all video-based and storytelling-based with some exercises. But the whole goal of that is to own your story from your inner fan, not your inner critic, because we're really good at saying what we're not. I'm not good enough, smart enough, you know, pretty enough. And we kind of suck at saying what we are, <laughs> right? Um, because we've got this, you know, negative bias, reptilian brain that's like, you know, um, Velcro for negative and Teflon for positive. So the goal of these exercises is to develop a set of words or mantras or affirmations that reminds me of who I am at my best, right? And take control of, of my story and take agency back of what kind of human I want to be, right? And so the exercises that don't, my goal is for people to look at themselves in the mirror at night and say, look, whatever I achieved today or didn't achieve today, I am enough. Right? I'm worthy. Yeah. I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of belonging. I'm worthy of connection. I'm imperfect. I don't have all the answers and I'm struggling and I'm shitting myself and I can't do this on my own, but I'm worthy to be here. It's unconditional. Yeah. Then you can say, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. It's what I think about myself. Once I answer that question and develop that self-confidence, then they can answer the second question, which is, what do I want <laughs> from this crazy thing called life, right? And this is where we unlock our values, our goals, our motivations, our needs, and our dreams. You know, we tap into our imagination and dream up the most amazing life for ourselves. The third question is, well, how do I do that? <laughs> like, how do I get there, right? And so the three confidence is self-confidence first, and then confidence in our connection to others or our leadership of others is second. And then the third one is performance confidence, right? And that's the one that during COVID in particular, everyone wanted because, you know, life itself was a performance. Right? And you mentioned right at the outset today, you know, expectations and pressure, right? So that's very much performance mindset driven. If you can remove expectations, you will always remove pressure. Those words always follow each other. And what people don't realize getting back to mindset muscles is that pressure actually doesn't exist as a construct in the mind, unless we're focusing on something we can't control, but want to control it. And I guarantee you'll feel pressure or stress or anxiety and so forth. So it's that word. I've got a love-hate relationship with pressure and expectations because it's just crippling the world on so many levels. And the two expectations that are crippling us the most, the first one is expectations of outcome, you know, the future, because you can't control the future. And the second one is expectations of others because I can't control what, you know, Mark expects of me or even thinks of me. So if we can realize that you can only expect something you can control 100%. So the only expectations any of us should have is focusing on the things we, we can control ourselves. You've still got goals and dreams you want to put out there and then chase them down as hard as you can. You just realize that there's, there's certain things you can't control in the deliverable of that dream. You still go after them. And I don't have a client on the planet who's not, you know, goal obsessed and results obsessed. But if you can separate the difference between goals and expectations, you can remove so many distractions and, and remove pressure accordingly as well. Listen, so this is what I recommend and this is what I say to people. If you're going to build a brand and it's on you, set specific um, goals, uh, morals, standards, almost like a brand identity. Have that prior to going into your business. And when you go into your business, whatever it is that you do, make sure you stick to those things. So for example, like this is going to sound like a bu bunch of mush until I actually explain it. So I said, I will never sexualize myself to sell a product. Never. Before you put this your is, name this out is, there. This is before. Yep. This was just me and how I grew up. I will never embarrass my grandparents. I will never... Um, probably never train men. I just wanted to focus on women. And at the time it was actually because of religious reasons that I had a lot of female clients and I didn't want to, I love my, those clients and I respected them. And I was like, you know what guys, I don't actually need to train men. Like, I love you guys. We'll just, let, let's just have women in here. And that's how it started. Um, so there was just like these things, I, these boundaries that I set for myself. So I went in there with a bunch of boundaries and I never broke them. And the fact that I never broke them, I didn't have to worry about the brand getting ruined. Now here's where it gets harder. You start introducing staff, social media teams, marketing teams, brand teams who try to be you. And if you step too far away, 
then you're actually giving yourself to them and putting your brand, your voice, your face in their hands. And by doing that, that's where the risk comes in. Because if they go and say something, they go and do something, they go and write something that's not you, all the risk falls back on you. So you have to be a control freak. If you're going to put your face that big on your brand, you've got to be a bit of a control freak, which is what I was. I wanted everything done a certain way, which made me quite robotic for a long time because it was to the point where I was like scared that my shoelace would fly off because it would deflect their eye from looking at what I was actually doing. Like everything had to be perfect. No flyaways. No, like, I know it sounds silly, but it's like that helped grow the brand and it kept it clean, kept it pristine. Um, until I guess it was sold and then you have to step back and accept that. Would you, would you say you, you had to become a little bit obsessive about the brand values? And I want to ask you as well on top of that, did you write the brand values down? Like this business about not sexualizing myself, blah, blah, blah. I had to. Was it written down? Yes. And then when you talked to your marketing team or whoever the t- people were, they had to they understand knew. that. So you inducted them into this yes, process. Correct. And then do, do you become upset? Do you have to become obsessive? Now, it doesn't mean I'm not suggesting you have to become OCD, but do you become obsessed with getting things correct all the time? Yes, you become a control freak. Yeah, that's what you mean by control a- freak. Absolutely. Yes, you become a control freak. You want to be able to control every single situation because it is you. It is you. And so when things go on in the media and everyone's like, don't worry about it, just ignore it. I'm like, it's not your face. Mm. That's me. So if you write one wrong thing, like, I, you know, you step back for two days and you say, look, guys, I trust you. Like, you've got the brand guidelines. You know me. You've been working with me for years. And they go and write one word, just one word. That's me. It's on me. So I'm like, this is why I can never leave. This is why I can never. This is why I'm still here to today. Like, you still have the business, but you're still in it because you want to be able to control that narrative. Why do you, why do you worry so much about is it a commercial concern so much about why do you worry so much about it being misrepresented or not represented in the way that you have sort of outlined? Is that is that for commercial reasons or is, or is that more personal reasons? It's, uh, it's it's because, and it sort of sounds a bit backwards, but all I care about is changing your day, making your day better, making you the best version of yourself, making you happy, make sure. Like I'm a people pleaser. I just want you to have the best day, so I need to have control of that. So for someone to try and be me and try and make your day better via pretending to be me, I don't like that. I don't know what it is about that, but I I always want to be there. Like I want to be the one to help you. And it was really hard for me, and this is going back, back. It's re- it was really hard for me mentally to move away from one-on-one clients because the narrative is Kayla always said, you know, why would anyone want to train or do um, BBG, the program, because no one will buy it. It's not that. It's not that I said that. It was more the fact that I was like, why would someone want to train without me? I want to physically be there. I want to be able to say, well done. I want to be able to tap them on the back. I want to be able to give them a high five and smile at them and say, see, look, you did it. Why? Like, how could you do that off a piece of paper without me there? But they did. They did it. It was called BBG and it went viral. And they absolutely loved it. And I, and I got to stand back and be wrong because I love being wrong. I love when says, someone says you're wrong to me. I'm like, am I? Like, I love that. I love that women did this program. They stood up and they like, didn't need me. They did it by themselves. So that's when I became more controllable of what I was online because I wanted to definitely be always there, always me, always showing up. So someone met me in person. They're like, you're exactly the same. Like, that was a compliment to me. So it wasn't wasn't created. It was you. It's always been me. Like I hope that you, what you see on Instagram, my videos where I'm demonstrating an exercise, you now talking to me now, you're like, you're kind of the same. Like that, that is you. Yes, okay, maybe I sound a little bit more like I keep saying the word control freak. Um, but I think you would be too when it's your brand. Imagine if an AI model was suddenly just you. It's just not you. It's your voice and I'm just talking. And this AI robot's just pretending be pre- to be pretty cool. Podcast, it'd be cool. Actually. It'd be sick. You'd love it. But you'd also be like, hold on, wait, I didn't really talk like that. Or do I really sound like that? Or did I really want to say that? Like it's almost like someone else controlling you don't like that. In terms of um, how deep you go into that, in terms of your thinking, your process about how is Kyla represented and the, the rules, it's sort of like a rule book, won't do this, will do that, won't do this. Do you go right down to the very detail like, like Donald Trump used to do, um, that he never smiles. If you notice, he never smiles. He always wears the same uniform. Um, 
he carries his hands in the same places. Um, I remember when he came out to Australia once and we were doing the show and um, he said to me, look, I'll, I'll allow you to do an interview with me. And at the end of the interview, um, he presented himself and we were asked to do, you know, the media wanted us to do some photographs saying you're fired. And uh, every photograph, we took about 30, 40 photographs and we had to approve them before they went out to the media outlets. And uh, in every photograph, my hand was in a different spot. In every photograph he took, his hand was in exactly the same spot. <laughs> and in some some of those photographs, I smiled. Some of those photographs, I just say, oh, I don't give a fuck, whatever. You know, just mucking around. His mouth was exactly the same on every one. His hair looked exactly the same. It just like it was like there was just one one pose he took fifty times with me. It was like they took fifty. I did fifty different poses on fifty different occasions. <laughs> so, but so. But he was very, very particular in relation to how his brand was relative to himself, the media, um, and anyone around him. And I, I, I took that as a lesson and I tried to learn from that. Did you go into that level of detail? Like Kayla doesn't smile or Kayla does smile or Kayla doesn't use certain words, she doesn't swear. She, did you go into I that I mean, program? yeah, there was, I mean, okay, so no, not that level of detail. Um, but, you know, like there was other things. So. There's my guidelines, so I'll call them my guidelines, which I will not sexualize myself to sell a product. I don't want to embarrass my grandparents. Like um, I said it before, like I probably I will never train men. Like um, there was heaps more. I've written them all down. Um, and, oh, and I will never promote something that I don't believe in. That was like another huge one. And that's why we said no to so many deals. Like everyone's like, oh, we'd love you. To, we'll pay you a million dollars. Say you drink this alcohol brand. I'm like, no, I don't even drink alcohol. Like I don't care for a million dollars. Like that will ruin me. And just for what, a million dollars? Like, I don't care about that. Um, and that's sort of set me apart from a lot of the the rest. And then there's a brand team that comes in and said, also, like, at one point it got crazy. Like, someone came in and said, like, we never wanted to see you in a matching set because that's too influencer. A what set? A matching set. So, like, if I was to wear red, a red sports bra, I can't wear red shorts because that's too influencer and not personal trainer and not um, friendly and not. And they got very much in detail. I was like, oh, okay, this is getting a bit hectic. I just wanted to stick to my guidelines. Yes, I was always warm and friendly, um, but that's just me as a person. Like nothing about this was robotic or fake. It was just what I wanted. And if you are a person who sticks to those guidelines, even in your business, not your business, but anyone listening to this, you feel like you, you feel safe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you feel safe within that. Yeah, well, we, we, we've had we have brand Bibles in in previous businesses and, um, and I try to stick by them. But uh, I always needed someone to sort of say, Mark, stick to the guidelines. I'm a bit opposite to you. Like I would tend to be a bit undisciplined and uh, tend to go outside the guidelines. Sounds like you were more like saying to them, I'm not going outside the guidelines and don't tell me to do that because that's outside my guidelines, your guidelines. Yeah. Um, where the hell does that come from? Like is that your mom, your dad, your grandparents? Like where does that uh, level of awareness and discipline come from? Um, I, I, I have absolutely no idea. It was, I guess it was how I was raised. I've, my mum isn't like, oh, it sounds so weird. Oh my God, my mum listening to this, but like. Hey mum, what's like, your mum's name? What's your mum's name? Anna. Hi Anna. <laughs> um, like, Anna's Anna. She's, <laughs> <laughs> she's just not, she's just not like that. She's just like so humble. She is, um, she's not loud. She's not an attention seeker. She's not anything. She's very just like a little Greek mum. And then my dad is like, look, I, and the thing I always say about my dad is like he's never raised his voice. My dad is the most cool, calm and collected person ever. Like anything goes wrong, I'm like screaming at my sister. She's screaming at me. She stole my toy. She did. My dad would always be like, just be cool, man. Like everyone just calm down, man. Like that's my dad. So like I grew up with that and then I grew up with my grandparents who like they grow their own vegetables. Like I said, like they cook their own meals. Like they don't go anywhere. They don't party. They don't do anything. Like so I grew up just very just like wanting to – I don't know. I don't know how I was raised. It's like you always want to please them. I don't know why. You never want to disappoint them. And I remember when I was like really, really young, it was the first time like you're able to go out to a club and you're able to drink. And like I do not drink alcohol now. I haven't drunk since I was 19, but I did one, one time. And I remember I drank and I must have got home really late and I got up in the morning and I went to go talk to my dad and just the look on his face, I was like, I've disappointed my dad some, somehow. Like, Somehow I just, I never, and it's traumatized me. Like I never want him to look at me like so disappointed like that ever again. And I would hate to think if I wasn't who I was today and I, and I did something else that I didn't believe in, um, that was against my morals, what my family would think of me. And I, I care so much about what they think of me, but then don't care so much about 
now that I'm saying this, I'm like, do I care what others think think of me? Like, have I lived my life a certain way that I do care? And maybe yes, but that's who I am. Does that make sense? Like, I don't feel like I've missed out on anything because I've lived my life a certain way. Did is it important to worry about what people, other people think, though, apart from your family? I think when you run a business, you have a responsibility to to people to act, say, and do certain things, and act, say, not do certain things. Um, for example. Like it would be irresponsible of me to do the opposite of what a personal trainer should be and smoke, drink, take drugs, party. When you're trying to be a role model for others, I think you should live that lifestyle. Naturally or or, uh, of or, course. or as in a, a, a performance? No. I think it's. I think the, the reason that I am where I am, well, do whatever you want, but the, the reason I think I am where I am, um, and currently sitting at what fifteen point nine, say Instagram. Let's use Instagram for bring that more followers. Is because I haven't changed because I naturally live my life in a healthy way, balance as well. Like I'm not one of those people that are going to eat a cow salad. Give me a cow salad, I'm going to throw it in the bin. Like I'm going to eat a, like a big Greek meal. Like I'm going to have like cake. I'm going to have coffees. I'm going to have, but I'm not going to go drink, smoke, party, take drugs. I naturally live a healthy lifestyle. That's why people follow me because they trust me, and I practice what I preach. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 